Ethan, the host of the Webology podcast, along with my good friend Rick. Um, what I'm talking about today is another episode of Extra Credit. Um, this season, uh, the, you know, I think it's called uh, Spring 2020 season of anime. Uh, both myself and Rick are watching a show and releasing a review on YouTube every Thursday of that show, as well as a combined episode on the podcast every Thursday as well. Um, and I'm doing Gleipnir, and he is doing Tower of God. So, Gleipnir episode four. Um, so this show, like, honestly has been just wild as hell. Um, this episode, I think we get the most information we've been given so far. So I think that it really, like, gives it, like, kind of a step above. It starts, like, kind of filling in the blanks for, like, what the hell is going on. Um, I know for the first three episodes, like, I definitely mentioned, like, the alien guy. Like, my suspicion that he was, like, an alien based on what he said in episode three of, like, oh, the humans are so resourceful. Or, you know, I need more humans to find my stuff and stuff like that, right? So, like, I know, I knew from the start that there was something wonky about this, you know, yellow, uh, blonde-haired guy in the, in the, you know, vending machine. But, uh, so basically, um, I'll get into that a little bit later, but, like, the main, uh, I guess, impetus for meeting that guy in this episode was when, um, Claire's sister, Elena, actually <laughs> rips Shuichi's head off when he's in dog form. Uh, because she had heard that there was that girl inside of him, right? And she's like, you know, that's that's where I belong. That's my guy, right? And so she rips off Shuichi's uh, dog head in the mascot, you know, monster form. And um, he, like, basically instantly goes, like, quiet. And then Claire starts freaking out, and she starts talking to Elena. She's like, yo, what the fudge, right? And, uh, <laughs> like, this was weird, because you finally get this interaction between Elena and Claire that I think we've been craving since the beginning. Um, and we finally figure out, like, you know, from Claire, at least to this point, from what she's been telling us, it kind of seems like their family was all happy and all this stuff before Elena killed their parents. And then, you know, now she's in this, you know, terrible place, right? Well, apparently... Um, Claire, Claire was the, obviously the younger sister of Elena and she was always protecting, um, Elena and stuff like this, apparently. And now Elena says, well, you know, now I'm the one that gets to protect you. You know, you always said you wanted to kill our parents, so I did it for you. And so, like, I mean, like, that was pretty serious because I think, you know, we know that Claire's like a psycho for sure, for sure. But I, I'm wondering whether she was like serious about it or whether it was like, you know, um, when you your parents would piss you off or something as a kid and you're like oh i hate you you know that kind of stuff right or like you know you tell your sibling oh i'm going to kill him what a jerk you know that kind of thing um so i kind of wonder you know whether it was like she took that a little too far or if you know claire legitimately does hate their parents and like i don't know i would like to you know get a little bit more backstory from that perspective because this was like a legitimate bombshell that, that uh, you know, Elena dropped on us in this episode. But from there, you know, um, she walks away, essentially, and, like, leaves Claire there. And Claire's like, well, I mean, I told you, Shuichi, if you go down, I'm going down with you, right? So she pulls out the, uh, the gun on the hip of the uh, mascot uniform, and she's about to pull the trigger, and uh, Shuichi 
kind of comes back into consciousness. Um, obviously, he's decapitated at this point, and he says, like, yo, don't die, you know, don't throw it all away kind of thing. And uh, Elena actually, before she leaves, gives him a coin and tells him where to go to meet the, the blonde alien guy at the vending machine. So um, that's kind of like the main, I guess, early part of the episode. And then the second part is really all the interactions with um, the alien guy at the, uh, I think it was like a broken down motel or something like that, or deserted motel with, you know, this, um, this vending machine. So they go over there and the guy's like, kind of explains what the coins are. He explains what the hell he is and then kind of what this whole situation is. Um, so they're apparently him and, you know, his kind are this like amorphous, um, it kind of sounded like he was talking like like he like all of the aliens were like a gaseous form almost. He like basically said they don't have solid forms, and he basically says, um, you know, we have like su- like crazy powers and we can do whatever we want and stuff like that. And he's uh, they apparently were traveling from one location to another, and their ship crash lands on Earth, and um, to travel they basically condensed down into these little coins and then um that's kind of like how they were traveling like they would you know have a bunch of coins in a ship and then one guy flying it like his story was a little bit wonky and like i think for sure was a straight up lie but he basically said uh the ship crash landed now all these coins spread everywhere and so he's equipping people that find coins with special powers to become gatherers to find all of his you know brethren and shit like that and uh basically those uh those drinks that he gets out of the machine are the ability to like give someone a power and he says that the power basically comes down to like the desire of the person that's drinking the medicine whatever you want to call it and that's how it kind of dictates what your ability is now this kind of makes sense from what we know like the track star lady or girl she was worried about her legs getting weaker and like her athletic ability kind of going out the window. And then, you know, she takes a medicine and now she's like, you know, a freaking God when it comes to running and, you know, power and stuff like that. So that's kind of like, you know, makes a good case for saying that he did tell the truth on that portion at least. And then uh, kind of from there, you know, I'm not really sure what I kind of gather from him. Like, obviously, I think it's complete bullshit that, uh, you know, he... He's claiming they're aliens and then, you know, his friends are in the coins and he's gathering back them back just because he needs to find his friends. I just don't I don't I don't find that very compelling. Um, I don't. Well, not, it is compelling, but I just don't believe that that's the case because he does start talking a little bit like maniacally. He talks like, you know, what if you could become a giant monster so powerful that you can destroy the whole world by yourself? Or he basically like alludes to kaiju and stuff like that, like big ass monsters. And he says, you know, what if you could do this, right? You know, wouldn't you? And so I think it's kind of like an interesting uh, scenario. Um, he's kind of preying on, like, potentially, like, the the fantasies of, of, of the humans and stuff like that. But he does actually, um, he gives Shuichi the, uh, for ex- in exchange for Elena's coin, the um, ability to drink this... Uh, I guess, potion, medicine, whatever you want to call it, that's in the vending machines that we saw in all the episodes. And he says, basically, like, if you hold your head on tight for a while, 
it'll like regrow and then you'll be able to be fine. If you were to like untransform at this point, your head would fall off and you'd die. So he needed to uh, give him that medicine and basically make him um, like regrow his, his head to his neck, uh, essentially. Um, and then they also have another coin that Claire has. And he says, well, if you want to, you know, get some powers, you know, I'll take the coin and then you can, you know, get some powers of your own. Um, Shuichi kind of begs her not to do that. And, you know, I think that goes in line with their character. And I did like that Claire did make the choice to, like, not do it yet. Like, I think eventually they might have to. Like, I, I, I think we've seen, like, only really, like, a super weak person with the, you know, track star girl. And then we see this complete god in Elena who can, like... <laughs> basically phase through you know walls and stuff and like teleport like she just has like honestly unbelievable powers so um i'm not really sure you know where the you know power ceiling is where the floor is that kind of thing so it'll be interesting to see whether claire is forced to at some point transform into like a absolute monster um one thing i did kind of find interesting was he might be telling the truth about (laughs) you know getting the coins and then, you know, that, that, that kind of mission he talked about, like, oh, somebody might want to turn into a big-ass monster and destroy the world. What if that's him, right? And he gathers all these coins back, and he's able to kind of, like, condense. Like, even if those coins are aliens, maybe he's able to, like, condense those aliens and, you know, feed off their power and then become this, like, insane monster. And, like, that's his goal, right? Like, I, I don't know. I find it, like, kind of insidious the way he was acting. Like, obviously, he's an alien, so maybe he doesn't have, like, I guess what you would consider, like, um, human, um, definitely not morality, but, like, human um, emotions and interactions with people, right? Like, he was just, like, very weird and aloof, um, and he basically has the ability to transform into, like, any DNA that he wants. So, like, he asked her for, (laughs) he asked Claire for a pube. She says no, and (laughs) he takes her hair and uh eats it and then basically transforms exactly into her but like a perfect version of her so like uh you could see like very clearly she didn't uh his version of her didn't have freckles um and from there i didn't really like other than that i didn't see like a whole lot of difference between the two of them but um i think like what he's trying to show them is like if you take my uh my potion or my medicine you do what i ask you to do you can become the perfect version of yourself or you know you can basically capture any dream you've ever had and make it a reality kind of situation um so like this was a very interesting episode and i think it really ramped it up um in terms of like giving us answers giving us like the the full length plot like i i honestly thought it would take a lot longer to find elena but now we know at least elena is you know she's gonna be part of the story for a while and like the reason that she turned shuichi into the dog guy like not really explained like what she meant by saying you know, um, or the alien meant by saying, well, you wished for this, right? When, when they kind of met him and, uh, Shuichi was like, well, I didn't want to be dog, man. He's like, well, the potion makes you what you want to be. So, um, I think it kind of means that he was able to be like filled by another person or, you know, maybe he felt distant from people and now he's able to connect with other people because they literally have to get inside of him to, uh, control him kind of. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, and that's kind of like my theory on what that exactly means. Um, but then, like the final kind of scenes, they go back to school, and <laughs> nobody notices he has this like obvious like decapitation scar, uh, which I thought was really freaking weird. Um, kind of, at least for me, 
if you don't want the characters in the world to um, notice something so freaking obvious, um, why would you leave the scar there? Like, to me, um, like, we all know his head was decapitated, so, like, it doesn't do anything for the audience to see that other than saying, like, like, I think you could easily, like, explain it away saying, like, oh, well, the, the medicine worked extremely freaking well, and that's why his head is on, right? So, uh, and there's no scar. But, you know, the fact that all these people in, in his school don't notice that he's got this scar is, like, really off-putting to me. And I think it's, like, one of these things in the show that's, like, slightly inconsistent, right? Like, in, in the beginning, they're, they're all concerned about not walking around with the dog suit on, like, not letting people see him, right? And then now they don't give a crap. And, you know, now, you know, everyone can see that he's got a scar and nobody cares. Like, I don't know. It's just, like, really inconsistent um, from, like, a world perspective. Unless they're, like, trying to say all this stuff is, like, only visible by people that know what's going on. But, like, I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't really like that that kind of, like, idea of storytelling where there's this, like, secret society going on and only they can see anything. Like, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I just felt like it was a little cheap and, you know, a little wacky because it's clear to see, like, they made the actual, like, a, it, intent to put that, you know, decapitation mark on his neck. So... You know, for me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep including that if you don't want other people to notice it and start asking about it and be like, yo, what the hell is up with you, Shuichi? That kind of thing. So, but I mean, in general, this episode was was really baller. I'd say probably like a nine out of 10. Um, I don't know. I just like, we're finally like moving the chains here and we're finally getting like an idea of what's going on. Now, do I think we were told everything or relatively the truth? No, I think uh, there's definitely gonna be some twists and turns down the way. And um, specifically along with this, you know, this alien stuff, like <laughs> something's definitely going to happen. And uh, I think he's definitely lying and he's trying to become like some, you know, monster or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm liking the show so far. Definitely uh, urge you guys to start watching it if you haven't. Um, definitely, you know, check it out if you um, if you like, you know, mystery kind of stuff. I think it's definitely going to be up your alley um if you're afraid of etchy stuff or you don't like it maybe don't because it's it is you know like it's not out of this world like it's not ridiculous but it's not um it's not pg that's for sure like i think they they do emphasize a lot of the etchy stuff like a lot like um claire's constantly in lingerie and like dripping with uh like sweat and bodily fluids so i don't know if that's your thing absolutely hit it up <laughs> if it's not uh I don't know. You could skip it, but I, I say the story is pretty strong so far, at least from like a like a mystery perspective. So I kind of hate for you guys not to watch it. So definitely, uh, you got this weebologist's um, suggestion to go watch it. And yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we're really enjoying these segments. Hopefully, you guys are too. These extra credit episodes. Um, definitely check out Gleipnir. And uh, just wanted to say, you know, stay safe. Hope you guys are all doing well. Um, you know, wash your hands and, you know, <laughs> do uh, social distancing. It's a lot of fun, right? <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm going to throw you over now to Rick, and he's going to do episode four of Tower of God. And let me just preview it. It got absolutely real. <laughs> all right, see you guys. Welcome back, my beautiful, beautiful students, to Extra Credit. My name is Webology Ricky, and I 
uh, have been living in the void for a couple weeks, but a couple of you actually messaged me personally on you know, Discord and other mediums, and your words have really struck me. I have been climbing slowly out of the void, and one of the things that have really gotten me on the up and up is Tower of God, Episode 4. And I want to dig into it, because this one, oh boy, the weapons are heavy. The weapon explanations are heavy. We've been seeing the Black March, that one chick, Dayanku's uh, weapon of, uh, like the, of a whip variety with the same mark on it. Uh, it's it's kind of been alluded to up to this point in these episodes, but in episode four, they really dig into what these like weapons are, and I want to talk about them. But before we get into that, let's talk about the lesser points, because some of them are lesser by merit of plot, but they aren't lesser in my opinion, so I want to chat about those first. Shibuyu, or Shibuzu, or whatever the tracksuit guy's name He's forgettable. Let's not sugarcoat the shit. He is a forgettable guy. But not in this episode. In this episode, he actually, his quote-unquote killing arts, which he said in this episode was a fake. Like, he was just faking being strong. He actually held his own. He has pretty good martial art technique. He, to the point where he was holding off by himself two members of a certain team. The one with that one chick with the knife and another dude with a horn. And the sleepy boy Supreme. The guy sleeping in a sleeping bag. He was holding off the two active ones without problem. He, with his quote-unquote killing arts that he quoted to be a fake. But they're actually pretty legit. Like, they're not bad. So he's actually holding his own. While Hots, oh Hots. Hots is out here. Fucking, like, using swordsmanship. This man has two swords. He uses one and throws it like a boomerang into the sky and then fights off another team, all with swords, with one sword, even cracking through one of the guy's big knives. Like, literally cracking all the way through it. And that shit is legit to me because it shows his skill. It shows he's, he doesn't need to rely on his entirety of skill to be an avid member of the team. And all this is happening while Ayanku is sitting with the crown and her whip on the throne having a sweet nap. And as someone who's lived in isolation, like all of you have, naps are a treasure. Naps are a treasure. Like, so I, I, I resonate with her napping on the throne like, like nothing's a problem. So I, 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 I love this particular round two because, you know, one member of this team is holding off even though everyone thought he wouldn't. One other member is holding off another team even though we all know he would. And the other member is napping as if she is their trump card even though she's the one that they're protecting being the crowned queen on the throne. Now, all this shit hits ahead. When Sleepy Boy Supreme pulls his hand out and starts to conjure Shinju. Now what? I thought only rankers, only people to the top of the tower up to this point could handle using Shinzu. And yet, people have called him when he's about to fire a Shinzu blast into Ionku on the throne as a wave controller. 
So we know now that those that can control Shinju are not only called wave controllers, but they're ones that are like people that are in this uh, this competition can use Shinzu. So all of the unknown individuals that we've never seen fight could potentially be people to control this limitless uh, power source. I'm really excited to see that because I thought up to this point only those who have made it to the top could even conjure it, even use it, just from Leo Rio using it in one of the in that lobby before the real test started in the last episode. In my mind, they were the only ones that could possibly make this work. So having a contestant use it is a really good swerve. I am proud of, of Tower of God for using uh, the power source as a metric to uh, allow for a cool power, power twist in this particular situation. So we see this guy fire hard a Shinzu blast into the into the throne and Ayanku takes it she takes the brunt of it but she also flips up and lands on the top of the throne and then she goes beast mode this is where we see the weapons take their shape because she has a three-eyed weapon this whip that we knew nothing about and she screams the word ignition now we know at this point that she is igniting some extra power from this weapon and I love tiered weaponry. Oh my god. Like Bleach, even Naruto with the Sharingan with the extra uh layers to the uh, like to the Sharingan eye. Um it, it's it's a, it's a shonen thing to have extra depths in weapons or powers, but I'm a big fan of tiered weaponry. And this show has already shown that in this episode, you can have tiers to the very specific weapon set that not only Ayanku has, but Bon has with the Black March. So when she whips out this weapon and says ignition, it doesn't just turn into one whip. It turns into many whips. It turns into, you know, like, uh, I don't know, 12, 15 whips that are all growing in size and, and slaying people. I love that. That's a beautiful shonen trope that is unspoken of, or, or at least not commonly, uh, commonly talked about in, in shonen that these, these weapons have tears. And it's, uh, it's a trope that has been widely used, but rarely done so, so early. Like, this is only episode four. We didn't learn that uh, uh, Zanpakuto have Bankai in Bleach until way late in the series but we're learning about it here this is essentially a weapons bonkai in episode four which is super cool to me so she busts out this crazy whip action to dominate the field like dominate it and it's on it's unmatched no one can really touch it even the shinzu user the sleepy boy supreme kind of backs off and flies for some reason. So maybe Shinzu has something to do with that, but who knows? But in the moment that this happens, that she screams ignition, and Kuhn calls it an ignition weapon. Bond's Black March starts to go crazy, like starts to shake. And she knows. She knows instantly that it is a, uh, a weapon in her set. You know? She retracts 
her entire quote-unquote bankai, her, her ignition. She retracts her ignition and focuses on the black march behind her and then freaks out. She slaps open the cage with her whip. She breaks into it, breaks all the rules. She has, still has the crown on, by the way. And if you remember last episode, they said if you leave the throne with the crown, your team loses. And she says, fuck that. I'm going to go into this cage with the kid, with the Black March, and that is when she starts to really lay down the exposition. This situation allows for verbal exposition, and I love that a lot. I really do. Because she is aggressed. She is unhappy. She is uh, very angry for some reason, and we find out why. So she talks about how these weapons, the, the weapon he has and the weapon she has, are part of a set called the 13 Months that are made by Ashul Edwaru. I'm assuming Edward, but Edwaru. But Ashul Edwaru is the master forger of these uh, weapons that are all included in the 13 Months, which... Those of you who know the calendar, there are only 12 months, so I'm really curious to see what they call that 13 month. Um, she then gives her whip a name, the Green April. And here we have our set. You know, Ethan, in his uh, past episodes with me on the Webology podcast, have talked about how it's really cool to have uh, a, a group, a set of things. And I think this show has really hit on a really cool way to illustrate that, they didn't just include uh, a set of weapons included in the calendar year. They've added one more, and they have all have some kind of color associated. The Black March, the Green April. We didn't know what Black March meant. To me, I thought it was a cool name like the Black March, you know, like marching along. But it's, it's really cool to see that this is actually associated with the calendar months of the year, and I'm really into that. I, I, I think that, uh, for me, really hit the shonen mark for me for this show. I knew it was shonen from episode two, but this one really hit the mark for me. And I, I loved her saying, you aren't worthy of uh, handling that weapon, but give it back to me. I, I want it back because I am a princess of Jihad. Now, we've heard this before. That chick, that uni chick, that Yuri chick, sorry, excuse me, that Yuri chick gave him the Black March, but she also whipped out a whole slew of weapons in episode one. Were those the rest of the 13-month weapon set made by the Eduardo dude? I don't know. That seems like a, it seems like a pretty logical step to take, that she had all of them. So it makes me think, how did... Ayanku get the Green April. How does she get a piece of this set? And the fact that she said she was the princess of Jihad makes me think this Yuri human looking thing and this Ayanku uh, fish girl, I don't know, uh, makes it seem like these princesses aren't broad, like blood related. They aren't blood related. They are in some way uh, chosen, maybe? Is there a harem at the top of this Tower of God chosen by the women who make it to the top and just given a weapon? 
they're all princesses, according to people who have said uh, one-line throwaways here and there that says, oh, that it's a uh, the 13-month series are weapons that are given to the princesses of Jihad by the king himself. Is he just making a harem of strong chicks up there? Who's to say? I'm excited to see. But she then is stopped by Leo Rio, says, fuck this, you can't be doing this. I make the rules here. I'm the man of the house, and you are the one who obeys. So she makes a bet. She says, hey, bomb, if you can survive and take the crown, your team can take the crown by round five. By the end of round five, you can have not only the Black March, but the Green April. But if you can't do it, you have to give me your weapon. Now that's super cool to me. I like that a lot. I like that a lot because it's it this episode made it seem like the weaponry, the 13 month series weaponry is the way to win the tower. Even Kuhn says using an ignition weapon is almost unfair. It's against, it should be against the rules. So these weapons are so powerful, they're almost hacks, right? And the way that she used the whip was legitimately a hack. Like, there's no way you can touch her with this weapon. So, I like this bet. This bet is super cool. And then, we get a new set of players on the field, and Kuhn, Bon, and Rock's team decides to join the fray in round three. So they're all fighting for the crown. The crown is just sitting on the throne because Leorio took it off of Ayanku's head and said, screw you, you broke the rules, I'm putting this back on, let's go to round three. Now, all of them are gunning for the throne, and everyone knows it's a game of speed. You just got to get there and have the rest of your team handle it. One of these people are a little, is a little squirrel chick. One of these has a rubbery body. Like These characters are so robustly different that it does have a hunter-hunter feel, that everyone's unique power set is so different that it, it really comes down to the same variety as Nen. You know, anyone can have any power at any time, but I'm curious to see why in the, in the later episodes that these people have these particular power sets, what races exist that can uh, participate in this Tower of God competition. And then we see, as everyone rushes into the, into the throne to get that crown, Kuhn whips out some kind of wind move and just bum rushes tornado style into the middle and grabs the crown from the throne. But he says it's not good enough. He says it's not fun enough, you know. He says, here's the crown. Anyone who wants to beat me, come at me. If you beat me, you get the crown. And he stuffs it in his bag. And now y'all know I've been talking about the bag for three episodes, now four. And his bag comes into full force this episode. It basically not only blocks a Shinzu attack, but it also blocks every other attack from every other team. And this one chick who shot a Shinzu blast has a wand that can control Shinzu. She, she, she doesn't have it. She doesn't have the wave control the Sleepy Boy Supreme did. She has a wand that can handle controlling Shinzu. So not only does he block it, he opens his bag and 
allows it to be shoved into his bag, and he can absorb Shinzu. What the fuck? Like, this is, this is crazy to me. Like, Kuhn is a badass in all regards. He slays everybody. He defends against everybody. He can control, you know, not control. He can absorb Shinzu. He can defend against Shinzu. And the entire time, he had the crown in his bag. And then at some point, near the end of the episode, he throws it out. The crown. He throws it in there and says, you know what? Screw this. Y'all fight for it. They all start fighting for it, and they realize it was a fake crown the entire time that he threw it out. Bon had the crown because he just walked up and sat on the throne, and the, <laughs> the actual crown is now with him because he threw a fake one out. So does his bag have even more capacity than I said? Can he not only defend against things, absorb Shinsu, and also copy items that are in the bag? His bag, I'm going to say, this entire, I'm going to keep saying it, this bag is actually crazy. Kuhn's bag might, in my opinion, you watch later, under the flap, you're going to see three eyes. You're going to see a three-eyed mark, and it's going to be forged by the Ashu Edgeworth and he's going to have one of the 13 months in his disposal as a brown bag. I would love to see like him pull out the brown October. That'd be so cool. <laughs> that would be so cool. But um, I honestly got to think that he, he really does have a special weapon on his hands, whether it is given to him by his royal background or it is one of the 13-month series. But we now have a concrete idea of what, uh, these special weapons are, and some of them are savvy to it. Some of these people are savvy to what these uh, weapons are. Some of them are not. Some of them are just like, wow, that's a powerful weapon like Rack. But Kuhn is like, that's, yeah, I know exactly what that is. Um, so I, if I have to give this episode a ranking, I would give it an 8-3. It's better than last episode. The Sakuga was mm, delicious. It was, it was soul-filling. It was, it was great. I mean, it, it still has that rough feeling, but all of the animation is fluid. Uh, you can tell they put some serious professional work into the way things are going. And I'm excited to see episode five because at the end of the episode, as Ionku is walking by one of the cages because she was disqualified, one of the members of the hooded team, the one that they made this whole bonus challenge for, one that isn't supposedly Rachel, told Ayanku that she's an imposter as a princess of Jihad, and it made her angry. Like, she knew what she was saying. And this hooded member told the girl that's supposed to be Rachel, hey, can we kill everybody on the field? And that girl looks up at Bond and says, yes, of course, you can kill everybody. And she looks up, and it's clearly Rachel! Spoilers, but it's clearly Rachel. Undeniably Rachel. So I'm really curious to see why she is so apathetic towards Bon, even if all the flashbacks Bon has had has made Rachel seem very uh, affectionate towards Bon, you know, as a, a, a kin of sorts in the lower levels of this tower. And the last thing I will say, something, something tiny, but... A lot of people have referred to this tower as this tower, this tower, as in there may be other towers 
in this meta world, this this overworld that we would never have understood without that throwaway line from one character or another character. But they've all said, like, this is the king of this tower or, oh, she's a princess of this tower. They have used the word this to me what feels like a very poignant use of this. And I know it sounds weird to say that. <laughs> I'll admit it sounds weird, but it's very interesting to me. That the that they have um they've they've made it very apparent that there is more than one tower. So I'm excited to see later in the series if uh more than one tower may or may not exist. And I'm very excited to go forward with this particular season. So you know what? Thank you for listening. Um, I know Ethan has been talking about Gleipnir, and it's uh, I'm a couple episodes behind, but the first two episodes were absolutely insane you should go watch it i highly recommend it it's animated beautifully uh but so is tower of god so i think we may have hit on some of the hits of this season so you know what thank you for listening you can uh listen to us on youtube hey youtube gang well thank come coming back to uh this particular uh lab away from the lab and uh i am uh elated that you guys are keep watching so you know what? Thank you for listening. If you want to listen with your ears and not your eyes, go to Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast fix. But until next time, I'm Ricky, and that was Ethan, and this has been Moobology. Deuces!